Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode number 60 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am so delighted to introduce you to Dr. Brandy Knoll. Dr. Knoll is currently associate professor at the University of Akron in Ohio, where she teaches both graduate and undergraduate courses. She has 23 years of experience in education, which includes teaching children how to read and write, as well as teaching fellow adults how to best teach children to read and write. Brandy is also an author, presenter, and consultant in K-12 schools. She has co-authored a book related to preschool literacy curriculum, written numerous articles found within national journals regarding literacy instruction, and presented across the country at education conferences, sharing her knowledge and passion about how to best help students succeed. Brandy is also the mother of three. In 2016, while recovering from her second major hip reconstruction due to hip dysplasia, Brandy founded the Bucket List Adventure Company, Ohio. Her focus was on bringing people together by encouraging them to step outside of their comfort zones to overcome their fears. Over the last few years, Brandy has jumped out of a perfectly good airplane, free-dived with sharks in the Atlantic Ocean, walked across fire, kayaked in alligator-infested waters, ice climbed, rock climbed, and rappelled her way through much of the United States' most strenuous and iconic trails. No surprise that she's also one of us. Brandy has ADHD. Welcome, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. Absolutely. I am delighted to have you here as well. This is our third try over two days because we had some tech difficulties, but in true ADHD fashion, Brandy persisted. So I really appreciate it, Brandy. Well, what we've learned is you can never just have a plan A with ADD. Then you have to expect that you might need a plan B and a plan C and even more than that. Right. I think we're on plan D now, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I want to talk more about your work and certainly the Bucket List Adventure Company. But before we do that, I really want to talk about ADHD, specifically your ADHD. So can you tell us when were you first diagnosed? Well, I will say that as I've gotten older, we learn so much more about it. And in retrospect, we start to recognize things from the past that we didn't recognize in the the moment. And um, I feel like my ADD has been extremely sensitive to hormonal changes when I've seen across uh, my lifetime, when I've seen peaks very much connected to hormonal changes. For example, in high school, right after puberty, that I was experiencing a lot of heavy daydreaming where I would be sitting in class for an entire hour and realize I hadn't actually heard anything that had happened and I'd snap out of it and, oh my gosh, I, you know, what happened right there? And I just thought I was a daydreamer, no connection to anything else. I mean, I was successful in high school. I graduated in the top 10 of my class. It didn't impact me enough to, um, you know, change my success. It did impact the way I functioned where I felt like I was constantly scrambling to catch up because, oh my gosh, what did I miss? And, you know, like trying to catch pieces and parts and put it together, which I was able to do. And then 
you know, I felt like as I, as I had children, it maybe wasn't as impacted as much through, you know, I had three, three kids and then I felt like when things got busier, maybe I felt a little more overwhelmed. I had never been officially diagnosed or done anything about it, even into my 30s. And I found myself complaining a lot in my 30s, where I was just like, you know, I was recognizing that it was causing issues, but it's funny, I couldn't get to the point where I did anything about it. And I was thinking about this yesterday in my garage, that the idea that, you know, so often we we're, we know what's going on. But we don't take that leap to say, I'm going to do something about it. And um, I actually didn't. So, Brandy? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Brandy. So, two questions. Are you combined type? You know, I've never been. So, hyperactive and. and I've I've never been officially labeled that way by a doctor. My um, primary care physician actually just used a checklist, and it was a pretty low key, especially compared to what I've read about other people's experiences. But I would definitely self label myself Mm -hmm. that for sure. Uh, I, I see yeah. both of those things happening regularly. So I did it, um, let's see, about four years ago is when I actually went to the doctor and got diagnosed. And then I actually went on medication. And the only reason I ended up there was because I was in the doctor's office with my daughter, who's a freshman at high school at the time, who started high school a couple weeks in and said, I can't pay attention, mom. I don't know what the problem is. And I had recognized her as with ADD tendencies, but it never impacted her in any way I needed to intervene. And when I went through the checklist with her, I thought I could fill this out exactly the same for me. Maybe I should do something. So that's when I officially went on medication. Yeah, I think so many of us that are diagnosed in midlife are diagnosed because our children are diagnosed. Yeah, I and, and I think also that, you know, life changes a lot as far as, you know, what your demands are day to day and how much you have, when you have to start managing, you know, taking care of other people, you know, your children, it, it adds to your plate. And I, I believe there's a tipping point. And I recognize that I've had different points where I had hit the tipping point and I need something to help me be able to balance that. Totally. And especially when, for example, you with this, you know, a very, um, what am I trying to say? Well, a high powered career Mm -hmm. in terms of there's a lot expected of you. And then you're supposed to go home and society tells us that because we're the moms, we're the ones that are supposed to be, you know, doing all the administrative stuff around our kids Mm -hmm. and then have dinner on the table and make Mm -hmm. sure the wash is done. And no wonder. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we tip, right? And for for sure, the idea that girls are underrepresented in diagnosis, and I see why that happens in schools. You know, there's a reason they most of the time don't exhibit what teachers stereotypically think of as a boy bouncing off the walls. And if I'm daydreaming, no teacher knows if I'm paying attention or not or daydreaming, you know, typically that won't come out unless my grades suffer. So, but what I feel like for older women is uh, a missed opportunity to be diagnosed because doctors will justify your feelings and how it's affecting you by those things. Like you mentioned that, you know, well, you're a busy mom now and you're trying to balance your career and it's uh, associated with other things. And I see so many people who have tried to seek help and then, you know, been stopped in their tracks by the misunderstanding that, you know, there is a difference between being busy and being affected by ADD. Absolutely. I had an Asian psychologist. I'm I'm half Japanese and I think she was Chinese. I can't remember. But I had an Asian psychologist look at me and say, you know what? This is an Asian thing that you feel like you need to do more wow. than you really need to do. And sometimes in life, you know, what happens is the bloom just goes off the rose. And so what was exciting to you when you were in your twenties, you know, you've done it so much, it's no longer exciting. So don't, it's nothing. You're just, you know, this is what happens when you age. Well, (laughs) that's what she told me. I've not heard it associated with your culture before, but I feel like I don't know why it is that everybody wants to say it's not ADD, that, you know, we have something against giving it that label. And I also feel like women know themselves best. And so if I am going in there and I'm saying, this is what's happening for me, I'm in my body 24 seven, I'm seeing how I'm reacting that a doctor who's listened to you for half an hour to tell you that it's something different is very defeating. And I feel like has a missed opportunity for women to be able to deal. Well, it's interesting to me, Brandy, that 
I mean, you actually all along have known that, you know what, I think I'm ADHD versus I could not believe, like I would have never gone to a doctor and said, well, have you considered ADHD? Mm -hmm. I mean, they were all looking at anxiety and depression and things like that. And I knew it wasn't that, mm -hmm. but I just would have never in a million years thought, well, maybe it's ADHD. And primarily because I, like you, I did well in school. Well, and I think maybe the only reason that I might have been so on target with it is because my background is education. So when I start learning yes. about all the things, especially in the realm of reading instruction, which is my research area, that you know, when we look at all the things that can impact it, well, dyslexia, it's a very specific impact on reading instruction. And, and I have a whole unit, we talk about it because it's very un under understood, but it is a connector disability with ADD. And so in learning more about dyslexia and studying it and seeing impacts of disability on reading, then I really was, it's, it's interesting when you're reading something not written about you and it's very like informational and, you know, to the point and you start reading it and think, whoa, that sounds like me, you know? So I feel like um, nobody in my life ever said ADD. Nobody around me knew about it or no teacher would ever suggest it. So I don't know how I would have figured it out unless I would have went that pathway to education. I mean, I know there are other ways people figure out, but I feel like that was my pathway to really saying, oh, let me learn more about this. This is me, <laughs> you know. I think you are absolutely correct because even once my son was diagnosed, it took me eight months learning about ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the second time that I read Driven to Distraction. I was on, you know, a, a Stairmaster at the gym. So I was listening to it in audio format. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, drivenness is a form of intensity, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, hyperactivity. Yeah. And I just would have I mean, it took me that long, you know, so it, that makes complete sense that you saw this every day in the literature. So you knew what it was. I didn't know what it was. I thought it meant you were yeah. stupid. And, you know, uh, and I think there are, we, we send people messages about what ADD is or isn't with using a lot of myths and misinformation. And so when somebody's experiencing something, if they've gone by the myth or misunderstandings they've heard, then they wouldn't attach it, you know, to the right label. I know a great example of when my daughter was, you know, recognizing the ADD and dealing with the diagnosis, which, you know, it's a, that's an emotional roller coaster to finally have something that somebody says, this is what you are. And, and, uh, she was struggling with it. And in the schools, we treat kids with disabilities in a very poor way and, you know, lump them all together, no matter what disability it is. And she was talking to her friend, a close friend about how, you know, she, this is the only person she confided in that she had gone to the doctor and, and had ADD. And she was saying, you know, my mom has ADD too. And her friend said to her, your mom can't have ADD. She's a college professor. That doesn't make sense. And what that said to my daughter, who like just totally was crushed by that comment was, well, your mom can't have ADD because that means you're dumb. And the fact that her friend had said, your mom can't have it because she's a college professor, but then she didn't say anything about my daughter. And so my daughter, you know, indirectly, what that's saying is, is to my daughter, oh, people with ADD are dumb. I must be dumb. You know, and it's a, it's a horrible, yeah. it, it's, it's a horrible association that we make. I can't tell you how many times people, when I very openly share ADD all the time, social media amongst students that I teach, every one of my students knows I have it and I talk about ways I deal with it. And I can't tell you how many times people look at me like, that's no, that doesn't make any sense because of misconceptions. Absolutely. All that misinformation. Mm -hmm. So now that you're actually officially diagnosed and you have the benefit of hindsight, what were some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but you now recognize them as clearly ADHD in you? Well, um, what I notice in, in my day to day, and also what I will say is um, in my marriage, being married to somebody without ADD who just goes along with the misconceptions. It was very, very difficult for me to um, function in my day to day because of some of these things. And the first one that came to mind was my time blindness. And so I have a very difficult time um, 
portioning out my time uh, to, to plan ahead to say, even when I talk about planning my teaching, I have, you know, an hour and 15 minute is my typical class period. And I plan way too much because I think I can get through it. And I, I've been doing this for 23 years and I can't get it right because I have a hard time deciding if I'm going to do this, how much time will it take? Which then in my day-to-day life, at home results in me being late or me not even being close to ready when it looks like I should be closer to being ready. And so many times because I was married to somebody who was very punctual, felt like, you know, if the meeting was at five, you were there at 445. And if the meeting was at five, I was lucky I could get there at five and aiming for a little after to be successful in my mind. You know, like if I could get there by 503, I'm really excited with myself. But he would mistake that as I didn't care or I just wasn't paying attention or it didn't matter to me that we were there. Or I think so many things that we do and say and the way we act are misread by people as having different intentions. That one was a tough one. I have a daughter who my oldest is not, is my only of the three that doesn't show any ADD traits and is also most like her dad. Actually, we did the personality test and they have the same personality, but it would stress her if I had it because I was primary responsible for taking them to school and picking them up and, you know, sporting events. And she has, does have some anxiety and it was, it's hard because she as a kid would look at me like, you know, why did you get there on time? You know, you must not care. And that's not the problem. It's not a lack of care or not that I don't want to be there on time. So I saw that as a big day-to-day issue um, in my house. I would also say that another thing that I feel like may make it difficult to live with people with ADD is the hyper-focus mode, which I tend to go into a lot. Like I say, that's the only reason I did my PhD in three years, which is unheard of because I was actually working at the time as well. I had three kids who were young. And uh, so I was just like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm doing this. And I jumped into it and I, you know, the world went on around me and I'm not really sure what happened in the world in those three years because I feel like it was a blur. And I was just so, you know, into my goal, into the topic and so focused on, and my goal wasn't like, I'm going to do this in three years. That's just, I just ended, you know, I just finished there. And I, say that I do attribute my hyper-focus to many, many professional accomplishments that I've had, but I also see the negatives of it in that, you know, it's very hard to self-monitor. I think there's just so much self-monitoring and intervention that has to go on with oneself. I almost feel like a lot of ADD people have to parent themselves and that gets exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, I, I guess... The real positive, though, is the reason that you were able to do your PhD in three years or even your PhD in general is because you were working on a strength and you had incredible interest in your subject. Exactly. Is that correct? For sure. And even though I, you know, I talk about the negative repercussions that that it might have had on other people, uh, my kids weren't neglected. My husband at the time was not neglected. I just had to really figure out how to get in and out of that. But the majority of that accomplishment, I say, I do attribute to ADD. I feel like one of the really strong positives of it, and it only becomes a strong positive if you focus it in the right area. I have a lot of ADD friends who are just really in dead end in their career, unmotivated, uh, hate their work. Like I leave work pumped up every day. Like it was, it's the most amazing feeling to just be totally in on what I do after 23 years. And people who have ADD and didn't have successful pathway in their career look at me like, why am I different? Why did you go this route and I didn't? Why am I in a dead end? And I said, I will tell you that I don't know how it happened, but I got on a track that was perfect as far as interest and motivation for me. And if this area that I went into had not been such a perfect match, I can see how it would have gone poorly. But, you know, I get into teaching. I love the different day-to-day is so different. I've Every position I've had has been just a, a real hodgepodge of I can do lots of different things at different times with different people. It's so matched my strength. 
And then the area of reading instruction became so interesting to me. It's so brain-based. I always say that if I wouldn't have chosen this profession now, I think I would have liked to be a brain researcher because the brain is amazing. It's so interesting and amazing. And that interest in it just made me nonstop. Like, I need to learn more. I need to learn more. So it definitely funneled. That motivation by things that interest you has to match your career or your career is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Ah, brilliant. So I, I could not agree more. I want you to talk about, so you work as a professor, that's your work, and how you're really open about your ADHD with your students. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say that in society in general, when we have successful people, they don't go around and say, I have ADD. So we don't, aren't able to match that label with successful people in our mind to start changing the perspective about it. I actually was dating a man over the last year and he had two master's degrees, was an engineer, amazing, smart person with a good career path and successful. And I would openly talk on social media or in front of him about ADD and he was embarrassed by it. And he's like, I, I've never, I, I can't believe you just talk about it like that. And so I saw in him this shame associated with it and that he would never want to share that with other people, especially at his work, like especially with people who he, you know, was around day to day and might make assumptions about his work or his ability. And I am like the total opposite of that. And what I want my students to understand is I want to be a model for them to say successful people who are intelligent and have career paths have ADD. And I also want them to understand that, you know, their own students deal with the same things I deal with. So when I share things about me, I'm also helping them to understand, to put a a face to their kids that might have ADD in their classroom to get a better understanding of it. I talk to them about what kind of things I manage. I actually have in my classroom, because of my time blindness, and I teach three classes in a row, I always have a hard time in my head remembering when does the first class start and what time does it end and when does the next class start? And so I created a poster just on eight and a half by 11 and it has the start and stop time for my three classes, just times. And I hang it back by the clock because then I can look at the clock and I can look at the sign and I can decide, do I need to, you know, finish this up? Is it getting, you know, to the end? And, and what's funny is other people would be like, who are not ADD would think that was the most bizarre. Like you can't remember when it starts and stops. Like, no, I cannot in my brain put those two numbers and retrieve them in an efficient way. If I stood here and thought about it, I could, but not in an efficient way. So I explained to them how a schedule posted for their own students, because maybe it's easy for you to know when lunch starts and ends every day. And it's not for your student to do that. So I do that for myself as an adult you might do this for your students someday, or you might suggest to your students that they do this for themselves someday. So I like to share things that I struggle with. It makes me more human to them. It shows them that, you know, ADD people have careers and they're smart, but they still deal with things. And I also feel like it helps them to feel more comfortable with differences that they have. I actually have had so many students in my class seek help for ADD during the semester or after the semester they have me. Uh, Actually, last semester, a young lady in my class, she, you know, I discuss openly if they've had me for another class, they know this was her first class with me. And she started to recognize that, you know, I was comfortable with it and shared. And uh, about halfway through the semester, she came up to me after class and she said, today's my first day on medicine. And she was smiling and she said, I don't know what to expect. And I said, what, what are you on medicine for? She said, I went and I finally did something about my ADD because I was tired of dealing with it. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you for that. So, you know, I said, I told her about, you know, medicine, please understand it may not be the end of the road for you. You, you know, this might not work. You might, this is not like, I feel like nobody ever told me that you might go on medicine and it might not work because you're thinking, yes, I've got this, you know, they're going to fix it. That's not always the path. So I, so I, very often I have students who become more open about sharing and some of them in front of their peers, which I feel very proud about that, you know, that they feel comfortable and some just privately to me. But I feel like that it needs to become more normalized instead of hushed. Absolutely. Because if mm-hmm. there's shame around it, everything you choose to do 
is clouded in that. I don't care. I mean, I just really believe that you've got to be open about it. Every time I get a message from someone, you know, I don't know, on social media or an email and, you know, they're, they're so mm-hmm. full of shame. I mean, the first thing I say is part of your shame is because you're hiding this. This is who you are. This is part of you. But there's so many great things about it if you would just focus on mm-hmm. that instead I, of I your totally weaknesses. I totally agree with that, that if we see somebody who's afraid to share with other people, then that to me is an alert that they don't understand it fully yet themselves. Because if you move through the process of fully understanding it, you get beyond the, you know, oh, I can't be anywhere on time. Oh, I can't pay attention. You get beyond that and you start to recognize that actually anything you're dealing with, there are, you can find solutions to. Everybody has things they deal with and have to find solutions to. That's not anything outside the norm. But also the idea that, wow, there's actually some really cool things that I can do that other people can't. And I, I definitely feel like that is not the heavy focus. I know um, yes. Tom Hanks just recently, I shared on social media, Tom Hanks, there was an article uh, about how he came out and attributed his, oh wait, was it Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise? Oh great, now I can't remember. Oh, I'm going to have to fact check that. But an actor, a famous actor came out and attributed his success in acting to his ADD. And I shared the heck out of that article because it is very rare that you see a headline where somebody famous or successful is saying it's because of my ADD. Completely agree. So you definitely believe then that you are successful, not despite your ADHD, oh, sure. but because I, of I it. feel like what I have thought often were just personality characteristics of me as a person I've started to recognize the more and more ADD people that I'm around, especially adults, I start to recognize that we have those same similarities. And what I thought was just my personality is actually a repercussion of the ADD and how we're wired. And I feel like I like those kind of people. <laughs> you know, I, my ADD friends, I feel like I enjoy being around the most because I feel like we're quick witted. I feel like um, we have a different perspective on things that other people don't. We see things in a different way. And also I feel like we're open to recognizing that sometimes you just got to go easy on yourself, you know, and I feel like that then funnels into, I go a lot easier on other people because I recognize I'm struggling with things that other people don't know and other people Mm. are struggling. So I'm, I'm not as quick to judge other people in their actions because I don't want people to be quick to judge my actions and misread them. I could go on and on. There's so many things that ADD brings to my life that are definitely things I could say are a positive. I think ADHD people are so much more fun. And I tell my friends all the time that, you know, ADHD people yes. attract other ADHD people. So even though you haven't been diagnosed, yes. you exactly. should consider it <laughs> because you're friends yep. with me. I mean, you're You're absolutely right. There are those things that are attractive, I think, to each other. Definitely. So I want to know about the Adventure Club. Like how did that, well, let's back up. Let's talk about your bucket list um, business, how that came about, why? Well, I will say that one of the characteristics of me personally and dealing with uh, ADD is that I need to keep not just my body active. That is definitely, I've been athletic and involved in sports all my life, never stopped doing that except for when I had hit problems, but that was just a little blip. But I have also very much needed to keep my brain busy. I do not do well when I'm not doing and or thinking or planning or learning. It's just a constant need to feed my brain and my body. And so I had really fed that need through, you know, working on my master's, working on my PhD, you know, getting involved in my kids. I was, I was coaching sports. Um, I was uh, consulting in schools. Like I never just had like one job. I was always multitasking. And, you know, I talk about the tipping point. It's funny because I do have a tipping point, but I also have a tipping point on the other end where if it gets dangerous, if I don't have enough to do, you know, it's slippery slope. And so I had filled my life with lots of things. And then I quickly realized that I had a chance of burning out because I was doing so much that was all focused in the same area. And I didn't want to get burned out in my career path because I loved it so much. I was afraid of losing that, you know, joy and freshness of it that I didn't want to cause bad things to happen. So my husband and I had vested in some real estate and we 
couldn't agree what we wanted to do with the money. So we split it and we said, you know, you go whatever way you want with yours. I'll go my way with mine and, you know, we'll live happily forever after that didn't happen, but it was a good thought. So, uh, so I'm like, okay, what do I want to do with this money? And I'm, I'm going to stay away from education and because I don't want to get burned out. I've been doing that a lot and I don't want to put it into real estate. We've done that for, you know, 18 years. I'm done. I want to do something different. And at the time I was actually had just had my first hip reconstruction and because I've been an active person my whole life and being active was so important to me just in daily survival of life, like I need to be doing when uh, I was actually working on my own bucket list and I've always, you know, loved to, to try new things and do new things that comes with ADD too. And I was working on my own bucket list and I was going to do a half marathon and I've never run that far before. And so I was training for it, which looked a lot different than my exercise had in the past and started having hip pain. And long story short, I go to the doctors, I find out I have hip dysplasia and it's really bad. And I have to have these reconstructions. And if they can't reconstruct, I have to have my hips replaced and major six month recoveries. Uh, you can't even wait there for three months. I mean, it was, it was a big deal, you know, not just like I sprained my ankle and, and it scared me at that point. Um, you know, it's funny, people usually don't do a bucket list till they get scared. And I'd kind of already been doing it, but it kind of got thrown in my face. Like, what if you can't do anything you want to do physically anymore? Like, wow, that would be bad. That would be life ending for me, you know? So I uh, had my first surgery and it's a long recovery and it was winter and I was laid up and I'm like, so I need to figure out what I want to do with this. And I just love to go try new things and see new places. And, you know, I was in a marriage that really didn't lend itself to that because I always said he was afraid to leave the yard and he was totally the opposite of me. Didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to go away anywhere and be gone for any amount of time. And so oh. I was like, gosh, I, you know, I, I need somebody who thinks this way. I need to find like-minded people. What's so funny is I, I laugh now looking back that what I did find was a bunch of ADD people and I wasn't looking for them. Yeah. But when I started this business, it was the idea that, you know, um, people need to, before it's too late, not when you're like on your deathbed or you find out really bad news, that's too late to wait to live life and try new things and go new places. So, and maybe it's a little more comforting to do that in the company of other people, you know, you won't be as intimidated or something. So the goal was to try different bucket list things and have people sign up that might be interested and we go do it together as a small group and try new things. And so, you know, we would do like uh, skydiving or, you know, they're typical bucket list things, but also just some not a little more non-traditional what we had over here, like we did ice climbing in Michigan, which I didn't even know existed till I started this business uh, just four hours away. But um, the goal was that, you know, I was just going to build this business from a, I actually was in the shower and I'm like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've dreamed up things in the shower and I've probably emptied the hot water tank me in the bathroom. <laughs> so, but I'm like, okay, absolutely. Me too. So I'm like, I got an idea here and I think I'm going to, you know, work it through. So in 2016, once the new year hit, I went on to Ohio's business site and I just logged in and, and registered the name. And at that point, I was just like, had some ideas in my head and I had a name and that was it. And I started building it from there. Also, you know, I'm not a business person. I've been in education. So, but I love challenges. I love to challenge myself to like, like the whole half marathon thing. Like I'm not a runner. I've barely run 5Ks, but I think I'm going to do a half marathon. You know, I, I just like to set high goals and see if I can do it. And maybe it's part of my upbringing because I feel like I had a single mom for a lot of my childhood and she was an amazing mother and has never agreed to the fact that she's ADD yet, but I believe someday she will come <laughs> around to that. But I feel like that, oh, I totally lost my track there of where I was headed with that. One of the wonderful things of ADD, totally lost my train of thought, but I know. <laughs> so anyway. well, you were talking about how you, you created this company and you were going, you, the goal was to get together with people that yeah. were more adventuresome. And yeah. so some of the things that you oh, did and okay, then yeah. I, I've got it now. I was talking about the challenge, but I feel like, I feel like my mom growing up always told me I could do anything. And, and I, sometimes I don't know if naivety comes from 
ADD or it's just something that was great to me. I feel like uh, other people think things aren't possible and I'm like, nah, we can do it. You know, I, I have this idea that just about anything's possible and I have no other explanation for it other than I feel like that was ingrained in me when I was younger and I believed it. And so I didn't know anything about business. And I looked at this as a really good challenge. Like, guess what? You're going to start a business and you're going to learn how to run a business while you're doing it. <laughs> so I learned a lot. Of, I, I, it, was, it was a constant feed for my brain. Like, what is marketing? Oh, let me read more. Let me go to workshops. What is, uh, you know, how do I use social media for business? You know, it was all these new areas for me. And with this common goal of that, what would it lead to? It would lead to cool experiences to do with other people like me. And so that's kind of where it went. And, and the funny thing is, is, uh, you know, it morphed through the years and, you know, biz, I never had a business plan and my business coach at the local business organization would cringe when she'd say, what's your business plan? And I'm like, to have adventure. <laughs> She's like, that is not a business. That is not a business plan, Brandy. I'm like, but it's my business plan. So, um, but it, it morphed into different things as I was successful and not successful in different avenues that I would choose. But the one thing that has gone really strong and still goes is I have part of it is this adventure club and you join the adventure club. Uh, it's a one-year uh, membership. And we, the premise is we try something new every month. And we go around and, and it's local. It's not like I need a big trip or I'm going to jump out of a plane. It's a little smaller things like we learn archery or we've done indoor log rolling, a wide <laughs> variety. And every month it's different. And for me, like that keeps me going. I, I don't know how people are like maybe surfers all their life. Because I'm like, yeah, I actually learned to surf once. It was one of my goals after the hip surgery. I loved it. But there's so many other things to do that I have a hard time understanding how non-ADD people are focused maybe in on only one interest area because that is so unlike what I function like. So I feel like I've collected my little pocket full of ADD people in my adventure club who, like me, love the idea of trying something new every month. And what a brilliant way to, I mean, if you kind of look at your friend list and say, you know what, I want to expand this. I want to be around more people that I actually really, you know, have something in common with what a great way to do it. Well, the funny thing is I said, you know, when I was starting the business, I said, what better way to find friends to do things with you than to make them pay to do it? <laughs> so I was, always, I was always joking. People would sign up for my trips and pay to hang out with me doing fun stuff. So it's a great way to find friends. <laughs> but it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. So it keeps I wish that there was a bucket list out here. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Maybe I don't think the same way as other ADD people in that. What component of my brain I also see is I don't really fear things. And I know there's that component of impulsivity, which I've never really... Um, I've never really felt like impulsivity was a, a large issue with me. I know a lot of people, you know, uh, I've been around people who have shopping issues because of impulsivity. I'm not like I could say, eh, I don't really need that and pass it by. And I'm not impulsive in the sense that I just like decide one day I'm going to jump out of a plane. I do it right now. You know, I, I'm one of those people who looks for knowledge and understanding and then I will pursue it. But I feel like that overcoming fear is a big component of a lot of bucket list things we do. I walked through fire a couple of falls ago. There's a program here in Ohio at a outdoor retreat um, camp. And they bring this guy in from another state. And he's like a certified fire maker. So nobody burns their feet off. And it's a couple hour event. <laughs> it's a couple hour event. And it's focused on how your brain handles fear at first. And we do things like walk across glass or um, bend a steel bar with our throats or, you know, like some really crazy uh, stunts that actually our brain has created a fear that we will get hurt. But what the reality is, is that we won't. And he talks about how our brains process fear. So I've always felt like I was missing that component that made me say, maybe you shouldn't do that because I've always been like, well, I'll do it, but I'll just be careful doing it. Like I'll make sure I'm informed. 
and which has which has led me to do things that <laughs> other people would say no way no way I would do but so that I I had a great experience with my brain processing fear that night which was cool to like be able to be aware of and look at and so they burned the fire down they only use certain wood it's there's a process it has to get to a certain temperature i believe it's 1100 degrees is the go where we can walk on it which is insane because your brain says 1100 degrees that will burn your face off you know but that's the key. And there's only a small window. And actually, when it gets cool, when it hits a certain point to cool, you can't go across it anymore. There's only a small window. It's related to science. I can't say that I can explain it. It's scientific, though. But, you know, what's funny is it was a cool night and we were cold during the presentation. And we said, can we go out and stand by the fire? Just warm up for a break quick. And he said, sure. So we went out to the fire. We get up close. It's insane heat coming. And our body says, our brain says, get back. You're going to get burnt. That's hot. So we all jump back. So then we go back to the pavilion. We do our thing. We come back out when it's time to walk across the fire. And we look at that fire and my brain is saying to me, get back. It's hot. But I'm trying to say to it, but I'm supposed to walk across you. And at that point, I could see how my brain was, you know, really <laughs> dealing with this idea of this doesn't make sense. I, you, usually you should stay away from fire. And I, for the first time in my life, could not bring myself to do something. Like I was, I would say, I had a fear of doing it. And then I watched some other people who were like, I'm on it. And they were the first across. And I watched them go across. And I said, if they can go across that fire, I can go across that fire. You know, so then I was able to tell my brain go and I did it. And it is amazing that you can walk across this heat and not burn yourself. But it was a great experience for me. I think overall, not just connected to the idea of fear, but in the idea that we, you know, we need to recognize what our brain is doing, become aware of it, understand it, and then we need to react to it. And how we react to it can determine whether we have success or not, because there's a lot of poor ways to react to what our brain's doing that would send us down a bad path and maybe not be successful. So it was a, it was a really um, eye-opening experience for me. No, that's very interesting. And I do believe that where we see, because I, I share your lack of fear around most things. Mm -hmm. um, I have a fear of heights. But in my experience, what I've seen is that certainly with women that are hyperactive, they tend to have that lack of fear component versus if it's mm -hmm. strictly inattentive, there's less of that. Then I think the, you know, the fear goes on in their head and it's on this loop. Right. And, um, and I also agree that it can be different for different individuals too, depending on levels of anxiety, because, you know, anxiety oftentimes can yeah. be very connected in different ways. And so um, I'm an ADD person who I'd say has really relatively low anxiety. I've not dealt with anxiety issues that often in my life. But whereas I can see other people who have higher anxiety that would hold them back from what could go, you know, more looking at what could go wrong instead of what could go right. Yeah. And so that goes to what I have seen is that there's more anxiety among inattentives, which is, you know, what holds them back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if they're going to be held back. For sure. And I think that if you're the active type, you tend to be doing and going more. And uh, so you don't always have the opportunity because you want to be doing and going more that you're more likely to put yourself into situations where you've done different things and seen positive outcomes and, you know, you're okay with it. Right. Yeah, because action is what builds confidence. I think a lot of people think, oh, you're either born with confidence, you either have it or you don't, and not true at all. So if you are hyperactive, you're going to be doing more of those things that you may think sure. when you do it, you can't do it. And then you do it and you realize, oh, I can do that. And because I could do that, I can do this next thing. Yeah. And you know, really that's kind of premise of my company in general is that I saw the benefits in myself of when you step outside your comfort zone a little bit and you try something and you're successful at it, then it does build a recur. It moves forward into other things. It's not just like, oh yes, I was able to scuba dive. I did it. It's like, wow, I was able to scuba dive. I wonder what else I might be able to do. And so I think that is an important component of it, of like success builds on success. I love it. So uh, Brandy, can you tell us what is your number one ADHD workaround? Hmm. Go easy on yourself. <laughs> Wait, that might be more of a perspective. One of the things I feel like I have gotten better at is recognizing that 
my days and my tasks and my um, just things that I'm working on or doing that could look very different at different times. There's just no consistency there. And I think if you constantly feel like consistency is the goal always and that I should be, and then, you know, if it doesn't happen, I'm upset or I'm disappointed in myself, that we set ourselves up to beat ourselves up a lot. And so I have recognized that inconsistencies are a part of my daily living and that if I'm extremely, you know, hyper-focused and I'm going to get eight hours of stuff done today without, you know, a single hiccup, that that doesn't mean it's going to happen that way tomorrow. But I will instead just say, that's awesome. I got a lot of stuff done in that time. Pat myself on the back for it and then see what happens the next day. And I have found that, you know, I could sit at my computer and put 12 hours on a day when I don't have my children and not even recognize 12 hours went by. But then what I know is the next day is probably going to look a lot different. And I'm probably going to like say, I feel like I should be doing more today. And I'm going to want to, you know, beat myself down for it and feel like I wasn't successful. But I just recognize that my life works that way. And to try to set myself up against a norm, like a non-ADD brain would function is I'm going to be disappointed in myself a lot. So I just feel like, you know, going easy on yourself and recognizing that you can still accomplish things. It just might look differently. It really, the end product might look the same, but the process to get there might look differently and we should be okay with that. I love it. I love it. Focusing on the positive emotion. Mm -hmm. There's always something positive, right? Exactly. So I bet there's a young woman listening to us on this podcast right now who's just been diagnosed with ADHD. What advice do you have for her? Probably my number one advice would be to learn all that you can learn about it. I feel like, you know, some of the, like your Facebook group or other similar groups, um, like Attitude Magazine and different resources, very geared specifically towards that topic. You know, I read and read and read and every week I read something new that I didn't know and it better helps me to understand myself. For example, I just listened to a podcast the other day about sleep issues related to ADD, which I had always my whole life associated sleep issues with anything but, didn't know the connection. And I start to learn more about, you know, how it affects us differently, different ways we can try to um, accommodate for it or, you know, treat it. And so I feel like the more that you learn about how ADD works and you situate that into because everybody is so different that, you know, I read that about sleep issues. It might not be me or it might kind of look like me or it might, you know, wow, that is it. That is me. I feel like the more you read about that and you start to recognize that it's a characteristic and it comes with the territory, then you start to recognize that, you know, other people deal with the same thing. How did they problem solve to get around it? What did they try? And you just, you learn not only more about it, but you learn all the different ways you can try to accommodate it because that's, I feel like my life is nothing but a series of problems to be solved and none of them can't be solved you know, that, Hey, you having a problem with sleep? That's fine. Let's figure out a way to solve it. And by learning more about it and talking to others, that's, you know, generally the best path. Totally. I mean, you can't change anything until you understand why you do what you do, because then you realize, Oh, so I have control over it. I cannot do that. And this is what I can try. True. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. And that's a perfect way. It does bring an awareness to you because there are characteristics that I have, maybe not blatantly read about somewhere where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. And so to see it in writing, and then I think you're more likely than what you have to recognize it first before you can act on it. So, you know, recognize what, what is happening and then you can look more into how do, how do I work around it? Absolutely. So Brandy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You are a total inspiration and I am wondering, Aww. is there... You, you really are. And, and I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Is there anything that you- I, I find that when I talk to ADD people? Yeah, absolutely. But some of them more than others. 
And it's, it's the, I think, hyperactive component that I hear <laughs> in your voice and what you're saying that I can really relate to. So I am wondering, is there anything that you're working on that you want to share with us um, here today? I'm going to absolutely put all the links, like the link to your, you know, yeah. your, um, your, your bucket business in the show notes. But is there anything else that you want to talk to us about? You know, um, I've got a million ideas in my head. I just haven't followed through with all of them yet. <laughs> isn't, an ADD, isn't an ADD person a million projects all in the works, right? And which ones will get the same finished? Time. Yeah, which one will get finished? Nobody knows. At some point they will. Um, no, so I actually, um, you know, been working on my business, working on my teaching and trying to really be impactful there. So I have been uh, laying off my writing lately and haven't been doing as much publishing, but I am really thinking about looking at ways to share my experiences through ADD with other people. I feel like there's a strong need. I think exactly what you're doing, a strong need to pitch the positives and make people feel better about it, make people understand more about it, and for people to associate successful people with it, to recognize that we've been labeling it wrong for too long. So, um, so yeah, I don't have any other major projects that are finished to share now, but other than my business and my work at the university, so... Well, that's a lot. And the mother of three children. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, you're juggling a lot of balls. Again, Brandy, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I am. I am honored to be on the podcast. I'm so excited of what you're doing, of sharing good things about it. I think that is exactly what we need. Thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, dear listeners, that's what I have for you for this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Brandy, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal, just like Brandy said, is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they can discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, guess what? They really help in that regard. For me, they're like those little gold stars we used to get on our work when we were kids in school. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.